The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. We've come to the last of our four class course on the three wholesome and three unwholesome roots. Greed, anger, and delusion, non-greed, non-anger, non-delusion. And this is the dance, right, that we live in, right in the middle of. And uh, either we're sort of confused, which is really the essence of delusion, and then misperceive. And so delusion really, in a way, is not seeing the three wholesome and three unwholesome roots, but instead seeing the experience from you know, our self-frame, like, oh, I like this, or I don't like this, or I want to make this thing happen in my life, I'm not that interested. Now, we're going to think that way, of course, but we don't have to be confused by those kinds of thoughts. I mean, just imagine if we lived our life with that being the primary frame, as we did all the ordinary things we have to do in life, but the frame, the interest, the, the very deep and consistent interest was, oh, look at there's an unwholesome root there. That's that unwholesome root of anger. That's that unwholesome root of lust. That's that wholesome root of generosity or letting go or renunciation. Or that's that wholesome root of compassion. That's all we saw. And then everything else sort of flowed from that, like what we ended up saying to a friend or doing or not doing. But the real, um, like what our heart was really into was seeing the presence or absence of the different wholesome roots and unwholesome roots. This is from Saida Utejaniya. Wisdom inclines toward the good but is not attached to it. It shies away from what is not good, unskillful, but has no aversion to it. And that's the idea. It's like the Buddha in many well-known discourses, you know, he came at it from different, in different ways, but in many places in his collection of talks, he basically described what allowed him to wake up and become a free, alive, unburdened human being was just the development of this basic wisdom of knowing the difference between, in terms of the activity of our mind or heart, knowing the difference between what's skillful and unskillful. Oh, look at here. This mind in this moment is planting seeds that lead to suffering. Look at that. So cool to see that emotion. Because, of course, from a wisdom point of view, we'd much rather see it than not see it. Because when we see it, there's the possibility of abandoning, you know, by through starving, through not feeding it. Oh, look at here, you know, this mind is planting wholesome seeds. There's a beautiful discourse where he's using that simile of the seeds. Nidana Sutta, or this Discourse on Causes. 
practitioners, there are these three causes for the origination of action. What three? Greed is a cause, aversion is a cause, delusion is a cause for the origination of action. Then he repeats the phrase for each of those three unwholesome roots. I'll just read it for delusion. Any action performed with delusion, born of delusion, caused by delusion, originating from delusion, wherever one's selfhood turns up, that's a kind of a funny way to, you know, it's, it's really that, you know, in Buddhism, there isn't a self in the sense of a permanent agent, but clearly there's this sense of selfing as a habit that has momentum, right? I mean, we directly, I, I don't know about you, but I directly experienced that in my life. Oh yeah, here's that sense of mark again, like, a lot like that sense of mark I had a moment ago, and two moments ago, and three months, you know, and all the way back. Wherever one's selfhood turns up, there, that action will ripen, right? So wherever there's the continuity, the continuation of selfing and this particular coherent thing we call mark, right? That seed that will turn up. It will ripen. Where that action ripens, there one will experience its fruits, either in this very life, or you could say this very moment that has arisen, or further along in the sequence, in the natural and inevitable unfolding of whatever that activity we call me is, that unfolding activity. And whether that mind stream, that activity of the mind, in some fashion maintains its coherence in some way after the death of the body or not, clearly it happens that way in this life with this body. And what happens at the time of the death? We don't know, or I don't know. But we do have a sense, I, at least we can if you pay attention, that the trajectory of the body and the trajectory of the mind are not the same thing. I'm 61. My mind is not 61. This body, I mean, I, I casually say I'm 61 years old. But when I actually observe honestly, the body has some sense of, you know, not being what it was 10 years ago, 20 Right, so there's some trajectory, some you know coherent unfolding of the body. There's birth, there's aging, there's all the different phases, and at some point the falling apart and dying of the body, and then the body ceases to hold, ceases to hold together. Right, it just falls apart, turns to dust, or we burn it, or we you know fill it with formaldehyde or whatever they. They do, but in any case, the body no longer exists as a living creature. But the trajectory of the mind doesn't quite map. We try to, we assume, like if my body aches, well, then my mind must be sort of, there is a little mirroring back of the body and the mind. But when we really observe the mind, like even, it's so cool actually when you see an older person with a mind like a child. It's really inspiring. Oh, the body may be old. The body may be falling apart. The body may be in a lot of pain, but the mind doesn't have to follow. But if there's delusion, then we might enforce it sort of like a dictatorship or an oppressive system. Like 
if we have a strong idea, I mean, we know this, this is really another definition of delusion, is this enforced ignorance. So if we have this strong, unquestioned, arrogant view that the body and mind are somehow tied together, then, well, you know, this is what delusion does. It bends the facts to fit the view, right? By strategically paying attention to only things that support it or looking at the facts in a way that make them fit the view that we have, the belief that the mind has. And then he gives, uh, Buddha gives this simile then in this discourse. Just as when seeds are not broken, not rotten, not damaged by wind or heat, capable of sprouting, well buried, planted in well prepared soil, and the rain god, right, nature, would offer good streams of rain, those seeds would come to growth, increase in abundance. In the same way, any action performed with greed, performed with aversion, with delusion, born of one of these three unwholesome roots, caused by one of these three unwholesome roots, originating from one of these three unwholesome roots, wherever one's selfhood turns up, wherever that continuity of neurotic, self-centered activity goes, right? There, that action will ripen, because that's the garden for these seeds that have been planted. Where that action ripens, there one will experience its fruits, either in this very life, in this moment, that have already arisen, or further along in the sequence. These are the three causes for the origination of actions. Now, fortunately, that's not the only thing the Buddha talks about in this discourse. Now, these three are further causes for the origination of actions. So he's basically going to say the same thing about non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. And he says it, you know, it's a little different, right? He says, um, any action performed with one of the wholesome roots born of one of the wholesome roots, caused by one of the wholesome roots, originating from one of the wholesome roots, right? non-greed, non-delusion, non-aversion. You could put them into the positive. right? Then, uh, when these unwholesome roots are gone, that action is abandoned. Its root destroyed, made like the stump of a banana tree. right? Not really when you peel the banana tree, the outer part of the, there's no heartwood. So they use this image a lot in the teachings of the Buddha. Because it looks substantial if you see trees like banana trees, but it's not really a tree, a true tree with heartwood, that solid core in the middle. Made like a banana stump, deprived of the conditions of development, not destined for future arising. Now, this is sort of what we, I've been saying and what's really relevant about the unwholesome roots and why in the tradition we keep the negative, non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, because it's more about what's not there. Because non-greed, in the deepest sense, doesn't leave a trace. Non-aversion in the deepest sense, doesn't leave a trace. It isn't a seed. 
So the metaphor, the simile he uses then is just as when seeds are not broken, not rotten, not damaged by wind or heat, capable of sprouting, well-buried, planted in well-prepared soil, right? We still have a mind that is receiving the seed, the action of non-greed, non-delusion, non-aversion, whatever the wholesome root is. And a person, right, a practitioner, would burn them with fire. And burning them with fire would make them into fine ash or fine ashes. Having made them into fine ashes, one would winnow them before a high wind or wash them away in a swift-flowing stream. Those seeds would thus be destroyed at the root, made like a banana stump, deprived of the condition of development, not destined for future arising. So there's something in the very nature of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion of this not leaving a trace. Because let's just imagine a moment of non-greed, just a very natural generosity of the heart, non-attachment, letting go, contentedness. So if we're acting in some moment of the day with that mind frame, that heart frame, what trace would be there? Only if there was some greed, like I'm content, I'm generous. But that's not the wholesome root of non-greed. There might be wholesome root of non-greed, but if there's the unwholesome root of taking that personally, well, that's going to leave a trace. But the non-greed, the non-aversion, the non-delusion, by definition, doesn't leave a trace no karmic fruit that needs to arise. And this ongoingness, this is a very provocative teaching in early Buddhism, right? The ongoingness of the mind that I talked about earlier, right? Wherever that mind stream, how did they translate it again? Um, Selfhood? Yeah, wherever that, wherever one's selfhood, selfhood turns up, um, what causes the ongoingness of the mind stream is the unwholesome roots, the latent tendencies of greed, anger, and delusion, and the not understanding the unwholesome roots. Because I'm not, I don't think we should presume that a wise person has somehow no unwholesome roots. Because in different discourses, the Buddha says, it's inconceivable you know, how much baggage we're draw, dragging along. So what we do kind of clean up a little bit. I mean, we do um, like purify the traces or the momentum of habits as we practice. But the really transforming part of the practice isn't so much the weakening of like uh, the habit of being greedy, the habit of being version, in terms of like it's just not a habit. It's the not misunderstanding the habit. That's what turns out to be the really powerful force. Because anytime greed or hatred or distraction would arise, but if it's met just with wisdom awareness, you see, it's like 
the mind is immune. So you might have a lot of roots, meaning as you're doing your day, there may be all kinds of things that happen that trigger greed or trigger aversion or trigger distraction or denial or different flavors of delusion, right? But let's say you're living that day with a lot of continuity of wisdom awareness. So when the anger gets triggered or the greed gets triggered or the distraction gets triggered, there's that simple clarity. Oh yeah, that's just that anger getting triggered. It's not self. It's something that comes and goes. When there's attachment or identification to the greed, then it has some life, what we call mental proliferation. The body will eventually get tight, reflecting the tension in the mind. And there will be the appearance of somebody suffering. But mindful awareness doesn't have to be confused by any of that. And of course, if mindful awareness is really strong, there won't be the proliferation because it will see it in the moment it's gotten triggered as being just what it is, not self. Just this natural phenomena that has the tendency with this mind or heart that's been conditioned in the way that it's been conditioned, when this person insults me or when this attractive person is around or spaghetti or popcorn. I just read an article about how Stephen Curry is addicted to popcorn. Anybody see that? I think it was in the New York Times today. <laughs> and like he, he talks about it as a problem. You know, I've got to have it. He's a famous basketball player, for those who don't know. One of the best. And he, he, he's, he's neurotic. So he has all the places he plays, you know, around the country. And he's rated the popcorn that the stadium has in terms of saltiness and crunchiness and butteriness. and So there's a place that has the highest score. And they decided when he got his contract that he could do whatever he wants. Because the team sort of controls like what food's available for the players because they know like what kind of food is not so good to eat before games, you know, when you're going 100%. Anyway, unwholesome root. <laughs> My unwholesome root, right? <laughs> I'm, among other things, I'm addicted to the news. In the, in the way that, like, I really sometimes see it. And then it's interesting, like, if I was going to do something really bad, the wisdom that ar- would arise in that moment would probably keep me from doing it. I'm guessing, at least so far, right? But it's interesting how a lot of things that aren't helpful. It's like how uh, sincere practitioners can, their lives can get overrun by tiny cuts instead of like one big stupid mistake. You know, just little leakages. Because there's a certain thing, you know, I, I think part of it is this complacency and even a little arrogance. Like, I know how to put down that habit. I know how to see that clearly. I've proved to myself that I don't have to do it, so why not do it? You know, have another bowl of ice cream or watch a little bit of more of this or indulge in this venting, you know, complaining in your mind. Because I know I'm complaining, kind of, but I kind of like it. I kind of feel I should do it, right? So this is sort of interesting as we really pay attention to these wholesome roots. I mean, I'm really trying to find questions that, make it stark, like, do I really want to plant this seed that makes the mind, 
Like, because that ongoingness of the mind is that neurotic activity. But it's all we know. So part of what we're cultivating is confidence from our experience, but also some of the confidence is borrowed from the Buddha's teachings and from some of our teachers that, that uh, as uh, ephemeral and imperfect as sense pleasures are, interesting sense activities are, right? it's all I know. It's all I got. So I'm going to keep playing in this imperfect realm. I mean, I'm not going to do stupid things that cause a lot of suffering, but I'm going to keep indulging, keep trying to have a nice life, right? I mean, this is where I put myself. I'm assuming many of us put ourselves here. You know, I'm content not doing really big stupid things, but I'm okay doing small stupid things. I mean, I'm using that word stupid on purpose to be a little bit provocative, but just things we know when we're balanced and clear really aren't going to lead to any kind of lasting happiness for myself or for others. Isn't really contributing to my happiness in the world, the sort of collection of beings on this planet's happiness. And yet we do it. Why? Well, I think it's this sort of restless, not knowing what else to do, So part of the path of getting clear the difference between wholesome and unwholesome roots, it's like wholesome roots, no matter how, once we know what aversion is, fear is, greed is, delusion is, being disconnected or being unaware, not clear. Once we know what those are, and we've done enough homework in life where we see how they're always unavoidably connected with suffering, being tight, not only for ourselves, but it leaks to those around us, right? Then why would we do that? Like if we were really, like when, I mean, just take something like where we're really should go to sleep or really should do a little stretching or get some exercise, but we just want to veg out, you know, and eat food we don't really need to eat and watch something we don't really isn't contributing to our well-being, right? But is entertaining enough. Now, if we really saw in a vivid way, like this is the the thing about our mind, it's really trained for short-term pleasure and to be relatively unaware of long-term consequences, right? That's why we could very easily as a species do some big stupid things like around the environment that could cause the destruction of the species. I mean, it's definitely conceivable. And it's simply this. We don't, it's very hard when we're opening to the present moment to see the big picture. It's just so easy to buy something wrapped in plastic or to turn the heat up or to, you know, all the little cuts along the way without seeing that we're swirling down the drain. You know, and it's the same thing with so many other issues. I mean, global warming, that's just, just one example, of course. And it happens in our personal lives and it happens collectively. But if we had on purpose cultivated the clarity about what an unwholes- a moment of the mind governed by an unwholesome root is, 
Because that, I mean, wisdom ha- has both the ability to have the depth, like the penetrating depth of what's happening in the moment, but it also has this vast breath, like we really see, we sense, intuit what's being set in motion. And, you know, the Buddha has very graphic teachings about how there's no, for those karmic seeds, there's no place to hide. They will, like any time we're rejecting the present moment because we're wanting something else or wanting to get rid of something, right? So that's a kind of conflictual relationship with the present moment. So then that tendency to be at war with the present moment, to be in a struggling relationship, that is what continues. That's what's in motion. So that's why there's that well-known phrase from Trungpa Rinpoche, the controversial Tibetan teacher who was one of the early Dharma teachers here in the West, started Naropa College, or university rather, in Boulder. But when asked about like what takes rebirth, he has this famous answer. You know, it's something like your neurotic tendencies are what take rebirth. Because in the Buddhist teachings, when, the, uh, when there's enough wisdom that sort of neutralizes the habits of greed, anger, and delusion, then this is the provocative thing. In the early Buddhism, in later schools, you know, they talk about bodhisattvas that take rebirth to um, be there for the benefit of all beings. But in early Buddhism, it's like when somebody has enough wisdom and the body dies, there's no neurotic activity that leads to rebirth. And that's a very provocative thing. That mind, right, that mind doesn't have, like the coherence is really the neurotic activity. That's what gives the mind stream, the moment-to-moment mind stream, its coherence. I want to live. I want to go to Ireland. I want to, you know, what a, that's an impression of my heart. Oh, I want to see Game of Thrones, right? And then it's like hard not to, especially if we planted that seed enough times, that seed of greed enough times. So this is our task, you know, and we can share in our practice, in our small groups rather today, you know, just what we've been learning in each of these three. And just to maybe before we break into small groups, I'll just say a little bit more about delusion because in a way, delusion is the the basic unseen, but still the basic choice to not see clearly. It's a choice that we don't see clearly. Like It's a choice not to be interested. It's a choice to presume I already know what's going on so I don't have to be interested. And that's a really good definition of delusion is thinking that we already know. So why, why do I have to open to the present moment, to the activity of the mind and the body in a humble, fresh, curious way? Because I already kind of know what's going on. That's delusion. And so when we're deluded, we're going to keep doing what we've always done. So what have we always been doing? We've been interacting with conditioned reality with greed and aversion. 
That's the active side of delusion. Thinking that we know, thinking that we already get, because greed and delusion just feel so functional, seem so appropriate. Like when we're actually feeling greed, when you look at that, look at it, it just makes sense. Of course I'm greedy. Of course I want this to happen. It just makes so much sense. Oh, I don't want to die. I want a nice meal. I mean, so don't think of greed and aversion as only pathological expressions. Just ordinary, what we would call relatively wholesome greed is greed. But non-greed doesn't mean we don't eat or put a sweater on or mate or, you know, whatever you know, desire might lead us to do. It means we're not confused by greed and aversion. Right? It's a movement in the heart. It doesn't... See, when we, when mostly, you know, when we're acting as an ordinary, deluded human being, then when I feel greed from that frame, then it feels like I want popcorn when I go home tonight. Or I want to see Game of Thrones. Or I want this swollen jaw to get better. Right? I've got something going on here. And, uh, but when I'm seeing it with wisdom, right, it's just that movement of desire, that movement of fear. And in that moment, the mind isn't making it more or less than what it is. So I'm not rejecting because that movement might have some useful information. But I don't even need to sort of like, you know, this is the thing about understanding the mind as a natural system. It doesn't need the mind, heart, body. It doesn't need the sense of self to function efficiently, even in this very neurotic world. We only think, because it's all we know, that to operate in the world, we need this basic ignorance of thinking there's a me, an agent, a a permanent self. Because once you have that, you're going to have greed and aversion. Because we feel threatened. And even when we're kind, it's a strategic move. Right? Like, let's work together to be safe. Right? So we can be collectively greedy or collectively fearful. But when, when delusion, when we uproot delusion by not feeding it, and mindful awareness, wisdom awareness, is the alternative to delusion, right? Because to really be mindful means like we're not believing the thought that I know already. When that thought arises, I already know what's going on. I'm at Common Ground, I'm giving a talk. And wisdom awareness goes, that's just a thought being known. It's just something being known. It's not more than that. See, more than that would be, no, 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 there's really me here. But the thought, no, no, I'm at Common Ground giving a talk, is just that being known. No, no, I see people out there seen as being known. This is getting weird. That's a feeling being known. <laughs> right, so it's just, that's what non-delusion is. It's really keeping things um, empirical in that sense, Right? It's just something being known. And our subjective experience is always only that. Something's being known. Something's being known. 
And this is the thing, when we really get good at non-delusion, then we're not so busy managing greed and aversion. Because non-delusion puts the kibosh on greed and, and, delu- and aversion. Right? When you're seeing things as they are, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, when the anger, even if it gets triggered big time, or greed, lust gets triggered big time, that wisdom awareness just knows that that's just that movement of emotion, that movement of cognition, that movement of heat in the body or whatever goes with that. It's just all of that and experience being known. It's just that phenomena or those phenomena being known. And it may not be clear to you, but I'm sure to some degree you can sense that it really cuts it off. It makes the greed, the force of greed and aversion empty. It's not much of anything. We don't even need to be the person trying not to be greedy or not to be aversive. It doesn't require a personal intervention. It just requires being seen for what it is. So it'd be interesting, like one of the things to share in the small groups tonight, anything about greed, anything about aversion, how you're seeing that, how you recognize mind, hearts, moments, where there wasn't greed obviously present or aversion obviously present. But if you feel like it, you might want to dig down and and reflect now for a few minutes before we divide up. But like, what is your understanding? What is your direct experience of seeing delusion? How do you see delusion? Of course, you're always seeing it maybe a moment later, but in hindsight. Because if you're seeing delusion, you're not deluded. You're seeing the you know, the sort of tale of delusion, having been delusion, having been deluded is like this. Right? Having been lost, having been arrogantly certain is like this. We can kind of feel it's sort of like, ah, oh, I was drowning in my own delusion and now I realize it was just a bubble that I was living inside of, Right? So that's kind of an interesting thing you might want to share in your small groups, like that moment where for moments you were in a bubble, delusion, deluded, and then the bubble popped, and there was that moment recognition. That was delusion, and maybe you even, so this is non-delusion. Knowing that that was delusion means that this is, to some degree at least, non-delusion. That's an interesting place to share. And it may even be hours later and then you remember, oh yeah, oh God, I was so deluded. I can't believe I thought that. You know, there's that famous, there's a couple famous stories. One is ancient from the Buddhist tradition about the snake and the rope. Most of you have heard that, right? It's dusk, someone's walking in the woods, they see a snake, right? So that's the distortion of perception. But then they start thinking that that place in the woods, a snake lives. It was a big snake. So then the distortion deepens, and now it's part of the cognitive activity. I'm thinking, reflecting about that snake and how I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to tell people about it. And after a while, it just gets so deeply conditioned, it's a fixed view. It doesn't matter if somebody, you know, 
in the light of day, takes a photograph, and it's just an old rope sitting there, and says, hey, is this where you saw the snake? What do you see? It's a rope. No, no, no. Yeah, I see that. That's a rope. But I saw a snake. So then even if there's real evidence, or they take you there, and they show you the rope, yeah, now I see it's a rope, but that's not what I saw. There is a snake here, and I don't really feel comfortable being here, so I'm going. And there's another great story that I've shared a few times that you can look up about the cookie thief. I think if you just Google that, you'll get the story. Most of you have heard this. But it's a story about someone in an airport and, you know, busy professional and bought a bag of cookies and sitting down waiting for the flight to board and is reading the book and um, sees the person next to them, you know, reading their book. And, and the person reaches into their bag of cookies and takes a few of their cookies. And so this person grabs some of their cookies and then the person keeps eating some of their cookies and eventually get to the end of the bag and there's one cookie left and this other person grabs the last cookie, breaks it in half and hands it to the woman who has, you know, who's her, her bag. And she just couldn't believe the arrogance of this guy, you know. But you know how it is. You don't want to say anything. It's so <laughs> have con- conflict averse. So anyway, she, this person gets on the plane, sitting down, goes in her big bag to get her book and sees a bag of cookies there. It was in her bag. It was the other person's bag, right? And so that's an example of delusion, like that arrogant certainty. Somewhere along the line, the mind made the conclusion, this is my bag, and then it doubles down. It never goes, is this really my bag of cookies? Did I open my bag? Right? And we have lots of these examples, and it's really fun to share, because one of the tendencies of delusion is to cover the tracks right because it's so disturbing when we realize we've been dis- uh, deluded this is really the place for dharma friends where you can laugh about how deluded we are about things it's really funny and scary yeah This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.